The Roman Empire was one of the largest empires in world history. In the time of Jesus, what marks the common era, the first century, the Roman Empire stretched as far west as Spain and Morocco on the western side of the Mediterranean Sea to Egypt and Syria and what is now Turkey and Greece on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And in the heartland, people typically forget how close the Italian peninsula is to North Africa, Tunisia. Tunisia juts out of North Africa into the Mediterranean Sea, just as Sicily stretches far southward uh, into the heartlands of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Tunisia and Sicily are so close together that the northern tip of Tunisia is actually a little bit north of the southern tip of Sicily. And Sicily is slightly east of Tunisia's coast, which is to the west. So if you were to sail from the northern tip of Tunisia to the southern tip of Sicily, you'd actually be uh, sailing eastward. And in some parts of that trip, you'd actually be traveling southeast. So the northernmost tip of Tunisia and the southernmost tip of Sicily, that trip is actually a, a southeastward trip. So in some ways, North Africa is kind of oddly north of the southernmost tip of uh, Italy. And what that means is that, or the outcome there is that the Roman Empire, uh, the heartlands in Rome, were very co closely connected in terms of culture and politics and society with Tunisia. And this is why in the first centuries of uh, the Common Era, in the first centuries of Christianity, when uh, Christianity began to spread into the Italian peninsula from North Africa and the Middle East, you began to see major figures in early Christian history like Augustine, who had very interesting backgrounds that at the, at the end of the day were not uh, connected with the Italian peninsula. Augustine came from a largely Berber-speaking, her a Berber heritage background in North Africa, where Berber languages were the indigenous languages and today remain one of the indigenous languages of North Africa. Um, and today, Arabic is the other language that has become the predominant language alongside French, French dating back to the era of uh, Napoleon's conquests of North Africa in the 1800s, Arabic going back to the 600s and 700s. But before that, Latin languages and what linguists call African Romance, a variety of basically Latin or even Italian, um, was spoken in Tunisia. And even in the 8 and 900s, uh, after the Islamic conquests and the spread of Arabic across North Africa, um, where people became very bilingual in Berber and Arabic languages, there are Arabic writers, like one writer named Muhammad al-Adrisi, uh, who worked for the Roman Catholic rulers in Sicily, uh, the, the dynasty that, was, that uh, included Frederick II, uh, Roger II in the 10, 11, 1200s. One of the Arabic writers at the time observed how uh, in Tunisia and along the coast and inland there were people who still spoke uh, the old Latin Romance languages that were spoken likewise in Sicily. And this is where today you can see how, how 
off the coast of Sicily, um, uh, in the in the island of Malta, there are people who speak a variety of Arabic. The Maltese language is a variety of Arabic, um, and what that tells you is that there was a kind of geographical proximity that allowed Arabic to stretch upward into um, uh, islands adjacent Sicily and the Italian peninsula. And likewise, in the earlier eras of the two, three, four hundreds, the Latin language stretched southward into Tunisia and appears to have over time uh, been lost as a spoken language uh, to, to Arabic. But interestingly, the older indigenous language of Berber appears to have survived in a, in a robust way. So the outcome there is that the Roman Empire in the first few centuries after the lifetime of Jesus was a really unprecedentedly vast empire and there really was no empire based in Europe that ever managed to control the entire coastline of the Mediterranean from Spain and Morocco to Sicily and Tunisia to Libya and Greece uh, and Anatolia and Syria and Egypt and some of the episodes of that conquest are what give us the that kind of epic legendary dimension of Roman history that has stayed with us for so long episodes like the the encounter of Julius Caesar with Cleopatra now that happened more than 100 years before the time of Jesus and the reason that was such an epic encounter was because what we are looking at in Roman history in that encounter is basically the encounter of Roman history and Alexandrian history, or the, or the history of Alexander's empire. Now, Alexander the Great lived almost 300 years before the time of Jesus, at a time when the Roman uh, empire was still just this small republic based in Rome that was in the process of capturing the remainder of the Italian peninsula and stretching westward across to Spain, trying to capture the British Isles to the north, the Celtic-speaking peoples of what is now Ireland and elsewhere, and trying to stretch southward into North Africa. And by the 100s, the Romans managed to do that, and it was under Julius Caesar, uh, elected one of two consuls, governors of Rome, governors of the Republic by the Senate. So there was a, a semi-elective system in the ancient Roman Republic. The, uh, the consul Julius Caesar was one of the two consuls who uh, ended up meeting one of the uh, uh, descendants of Alexander's generals. So Alexander's generals, when they created, when they established Alexander's giant, enormous empire stretching from what is now Greece across Anatolia, they pushed back an ancient Iranian empire, the Achaemenids, where uh, there was the famous encounter of the ancient uh, armies of Alexander with Darius, and the Achaemenids are pushed back so far into Anatolia and beyond into Iraq and Iran, where one of Alexander's generals established uh, uh, an ancient city in Iraq that now sits on the outskirts of Baghdad. So Baghdad in the, in the, in the 700s, in the Islamic era, was built as an Arabic-speaking city uh, 
adjacent or very close to um, what was the ancient city established by uh, one of Alexander the Great's generals. And so the, so the generals established distinct dynasties and kingdoms all around the Middle East and the Eastern Mediterranean. And one of those generals uh, in the time of Alexander established uh, a kingdom, a dynasty in Egypt where in the 300s and the 200s, in the 300s and the 400s BC, there were the ancient Egyptian pharaohs with their capital in Memphis, which is now on the outskirts of Cairo. And Cairo was a, also likewise, like Baghdad, a new Arabic-speaking city that was built uh, uh, in the early centuries of the Islamic conquests. And the Islamic conquests occurred in the 700s and 800s and 900s, so, so uh, Memphis was the ancient city of the ancient Egyptians in the 400s and the 300s, which is why the ancient pyramids are on the outskirts of Cairo today. But when the, when the armies of Alexander took over Egypt, uh, they established a new city named after Alexander called Alexandria. And there they established a kind of interesting political cultural fusion of political practices where Cleopatra, by the 100s BC, was the last member of a dynasty that synthesized Greek or Hellenistic um, political culture, uh, and including the use of Greek language and Greek architecture and writing, uh, with ancient Egyptian language, uh, ancient Egyptian uh, writing and hieroglyphics, uh, Egyptian religious culture, and so this is where you can see Cleopatra uh, represented in an imaginary fashion, but with some historical basis as a kind of Greek figure, but also an Egyptian figure, because she had both of those heritages in her kingdom and in her own life. And so the encounter of Cleopatra, the famous queen of the Hellenistic kingdom of Egypt, with Julius Caesar and another major uh, Roman figure Mark Antony, that encounter really encapsulates the final conquests of the Romans of the remainder of, uh, of the Mediterranean coastline, including North Africa, including the powerful surviving kingdoms of Alexander the Great. And it, and it also signals the extent that the, the eastern half of the Roman Empire would have this long and enduring and powerful a Greek-speaking political heritage and architectural and cultural heritage that it inherited. And so this is where when art and art, art historians and architectural historians talk about a kind of Greco-Roman visual heritage in the Roman Empire, what they're referring to is that synthesis of that Greek visual material culture in the East and that Roman culture in the West. And so this is where you can see even before the Romans conquered places like Jordan, you can see how the how the uh, ancient kingdoms of uh, Jordan in the city of Petra, where people spoke a variety of Arabic and they wrote in a, in a variety of Aramaic before the time of Jesus. One of the kings who had who died was buried in a, a grave site, a mausoleum, an elaborate mausoleum, which is now uh, the the famous site in Petra represented most famously in uh, the Indiana Jones movie 
Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And there's a synthesis there of a lot of North Arabian um, Levantine architecture where churches and monasteries and mausolea were built into caves and mountain formations uh, where the other alternative would be to build something from scratch on land and create a foundation there. Uh, many of these northern Arabian structures were built into caves and mountain formations and uh, but the but the structure that was built there resembles the White House because the modern White House and the ancient city of Petra, the mausoleum there before the time of Jesus, both share this uh, affinity for Hellenistic art and architecture. So there's a synthesis there uh, in the ancient world uh, of this Greek Hellenistic culture and Arabian culture. And that whole that whole Hellenistic overlay of culture where Greek was a language of learning in the time of Jesus and beforehand, uh, where the, Arab, the use of Aramaic locally and Arabic locally uh, in the time of Jesus in, in along the trade routes from Syrian Palmyra and the Jordanian city of Petra southward in Northwest Arabia. That whole uh, Aramaic and Arabic-speaking world, the fact that there was this Greek cultural overlay and, and visual culture and coins, um, the, what became the dirham, what was formerly the, the Greek drachma, uh, the the uh, the use of uh, Greek sculpture, all of that became absorbed into the Roman Empire and Roman culture as the Romans conquered uh, the Middle East, and so even with even with the arrival of Christianity in the Roman Empire, uh, in the heartlands of Rome, you can see that there's this Aramaic and in northern northern Arabia Arabic dimension to the culture of the Roman Empire in Rome um, uh, that that existed side by side with this uh, Hellenistic Greek culture where Greek continued to be used in much of the Eastern Roman Empire so to the extent that by the time the Romans decided to build a second capital in Constantinople uh, after the three and four hundreds uh, Greek ended up becoming the language of administration by the six hundreds under Emperor uh, Heraclius. And by then, the western half of the Roman Empire in the 400s had been captured uh, by German kingdoms. The, the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths taking over the Italian peninsula, the Vandals crossing into Tunisia and capturing North Africa. When the Arabic speakers arrived in the 600s and 700s, the memory of the Vandals was so recent that they identified the western parts of North Africa into Spain uh, as as the land of the Vandals, Vandalus in Latin, Andalus in Arabic, El Andalus, where you get in later, uh, in the 11, 12, 13, 1400s, you get the district of Andalusia in uh, modern Spain. So the empire was was a was a very large empire, and and that connection between the Arabic and Aramaic speaking world, uh, with Rome. Uh, in the in, in the first couple centuries of the common era really cannot be understated uh, cannot be overstated not only did Christianity come from uh, the Middle Eastern coastline to Rome and the heartlands of the Roman Empire but there were individual uh, Roman rulers and Roman family members and imperial queens 
that came from Northern Arabia who almost certainly spoke Arabic. Um, the, the, the North African Roman ruler Septimius Severus in the for a, for a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus before the Romans adopted Christianity as an official religion of the empire Septimius Severus was a uh, Phoenician speaker um, still speaking the ancient language before the Romans conquered North Africa uh, the language of the Phoenician Empire the Punic Empire the ancient language of Carthage Septimius Severus from Libya spoke Phoenician he also spoke Latin a variety of spoken Latin was became became the Emperor a little bit before the time of Constantine and the establishment of Constantinople so the first couple hundred years after the time of Jesus uh, Septimius Severus was the Emperor in Rome and uh, his dynasty intermarries with um, the, uh, the a family known as the custodians of a North Arabian uh, temple uh, that housed and honored the god uh, Ela, in Latin Elagabalus which in Arabic is Ilah al-Jabal Ilah al-Gabal and that is the god of the mountain and a temple for Elagabalus was actually built in Rome and survives still today so you actually still have in Rome uh, a temple uh, for this god of the mountain Elagabalus in Arabic Ilah al-Jabal which points to that interesting um, cultural connection between Rome and uh, Roman Syria in the first few hundred years after the time of Jesus uh, so you have and the the some of the women of the Roman family came from the the family that were that was the custodian of Elagabalus on the borderlands of Northern Arabia Jordan and Syria and these were women like Julia Maeza who was uh, who was from that family. This is this, these are the same geographical areas where in the 300s after the time of Jesus you have within the Roman Empire the rebel Queen Zenobia whose Greek name uh, means servant of Zeus but who also had an Aramaic name which sound which was pronounced something like Beth Zebei uh, the daughter of Zebei and that synthesis of Aramaic speaking cultures and Greek speaking political cultures were the coins that Queen Zenobia minted after she after she established an independent kingdom that rebelled against the Roman Empire and she had um, coins minted in the name of her son which I believe was Vabalathus in Latin in Arabic Wahbalat uh, which is the gift of which means gift of the female Arab, Arabian deity Elet um, was is mentioned in the Islamic uh, sacred scripture the Quran is one of the deities whom the northern Arabians would uh, venerate that the Quran indicates is not a real deity, deity because the Quran indicates that um, many of the deities that the northern Arabians worshipped uh, not the Arabic speaking Christians but the Arabic speaking polytheists the Quran mentions Al-Lat, Al-Manat, Al-Uzza, and others, um, and many of these Arabian deities in Arabic-speaking, uh, in Arabic-speaking tribes, many of them overlap with uh, the ancient Greek deities. So you know, uh, Al-Uzza corresponds with Venus, and there will be there would be temples of Venus, and in some cases in places like Syria, 
in the first few hundred years after the time of Jesus, um, temples in honor of Elet would have sculptures that looked like uh, Greek sculptures. So there was this, there was that Greek, Greco-Arabic synthesis of cultures in the first few hundred years of um, of the Common Era. That co that coexisted with early Christianity. So there, all of this was happening. So the Roman Empire was this kind of big mix of cultures, where if you're if you were a if Arabian trader in the 300s, traveling from Northwest Arabia, where uh, the city of Mecca, cities of Mecca and Medina become very prominent in uh, in world history, because that was where a lot of Chinese porcelain and, and Indonesian spices and silks. Uh, were brought to Europe if they weren't brought over land along the silk routes Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, China they were brought by sea from uh, Indonesia and coastal India across the Indian Ocean to the Arabian Sea and then uh, Yemen and on either side of Arabia the Red Sea to the west Persian Gulf to the east up into Iraq or westward into uh, Egypt and, and, uh, and Alexandria those who those Arabian nomads who could travel between the cities of coastal Arabia were the ones who um, basically brought Europe a lot of its the Roman Empire much of its wealth because they were able to bring a lot of these uh, very expensive commodities that could be sold for even higher prices in Europe spices silks um, uh, um, essential oils and so if you were an Arabian Arabic speaking trader traveling northward in, these, in this in the two and three hundreds speaking Arabic and entering Jordan as you enter Jordan and Petra you're now beginning to enter the Roman province known as Arabia Petraia which is uh, which is Roman Arabia Roman Petra and Jordan and as you go further past Jordan then you run into cities like Palmyra and this is where you begin to see in the three hundreds uh, Arabic speaking Christians Aramaic speaking Christians Arabic-speaking polytheists who worship uh, multiple gods, um, people around the circles of uh, Zenobia, so some Aramaic-speaking polytheists. So you have this mix of Christians and polytheists, Aramaic and Arabic speakers, where coins are minted in Latin, and and uh, much of the language of learning in certain political circles is Greek, and people are adopting Greek titles. And it's this big mix that, that, that illustrates, or that was illustrative, of how geographically global the Roman Empire was, and also how culturally global uh, the Roman Empire was. And where you really see a, a major break in that history uh, is, number one, in the, in, the, in, the, in the 400s, shortly after Constant, Constantine, the Roman Emperor, establishes a second uh, capital in Constantinople. Shortly after that, uh, the, the western half is conquered by the Ostrogoths and Visigoths and Vandals in North Africa and in Spain. That's the first major break in that history, where after that, uh, you, you do have these Roman rulers in the east who speak Latin, like Justinian in the 500s. Justinian is well-respected in the Eastern Orthodox Church, um, the Church of Constantinople, uh, because the Roman Empire had the Church of Rome, the Church of Constantinople, and they were originally one imperial church, but over time they had uh, cultural distinctions. Rome increasingly used Latin, 
while uh, to the exclusion of Greek, while Constantinople increasingly used Greek as a Christian liturgical language to the exclusion of Latin. But Justinian was well respected in the in the Greek Church. Was in fact a Latin speaker in the 500s. He's the ruler associated with the Hagia Sophia, a church that became a mosque and a museum. Now it's a mosque again. And uh, Justinian, the fact that he spoke Latin illustrates the extent that that Rome and that Roman legacy was still very prominent in in the eastern side of the empire after the Germans took over Rome. But the fact that shortly after in the 600s, Heraclius changes the language of administration from Latin to Greek illustrates a kind of resurgence of that ancient Greek Hellenistic culture. So that's that first break in the kind of global dimensions of Roman history, where the western half is captured by the Germans um, and, uh, and Constantinople becomes uh, a, a, uh, the main capital of the surviving Roman Empire. And it controls both Southern Europe and North Africa. The second major break is with the expansion, is with the turn of some of the polytheistic tribes uh, to a new to to a monotheistic religion that Islam that saw itself in the Quran and is presented as uh, a kind of continuation of the teachings of Jesus and Moses and a, and a correction um, to how. Uh, the followers, the later followers of Jesus and Moses, understood um, uh, the the sacred texts and beliefs associated with uh, Moses and Jesus. And so, early Islam, the Muslims were seen by many Christian observers as some kind of offshoot of Christianity because it so closely resembled Islam, where the Muslims talked about Jesus and Mary, but the Muslims talked about Jesus as a human figure, um, not as a divine figure. And Mary likewise and there were Christians who who believed something similar the followers of Bishop Arius in the early centuries of Christianity these were the most famous uh, uh, believers in the idea of Jesus uh, as less a less of a divine figure more of just a human figure uh, the, the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths and the Vandals were famously Arian Christians and uh, some of the early councils in Christianity that came to unify the churches of the Roman Empire, including the churches of the Middle East and North Africa, um, unified around the idea of basically excluding Aryan Christianity from Christianity, uh, from from Roman Christianity. But uh, but very quickly, by the four and five hundreds, the Middle Eastern churches were disagreeing on uh, questions of theology and ritual and belief with the Church of Rome in Constantinople. So there were churches even outside of the Roman Empire in Iraq, the famous Church of the East, uh, where when you, look, when you look across these Middle Eastern churches, there were some churches that had distinct ideas about the nature of Jesus that would say, even if certain churches accepted the idea of a, of a divine Jesus, there were some churches that distinguished uh, the humanity and divinity of Jesus in Christian doctrine and said, and they rejected the idea of Mary as a mother, as the mother of a divine figure, because they said, well, Mary's the mother of, uh, of not of the divine Jesus, but of the human Jesus. Now, of course, Aryan Christians, of course, Muslims rejected that idea altogether. Um, but, but the fact that the Muslims came about in the in the 600s, to some extent, the Central Arabian polytheists, those Arabic, those Arabic-speaking 
peoples who were not the Arabic-speaking Christians of the North uh, or the Arabic-speaking Jews. Arabic-speaking polytheists who became Muslim uh, were in many ways, uh, uh, in some ways, you historians if they might look back and wonder if that was kind of something they might may have expected because that was kind of the last pocket of um, the Middle East that had not converted to um, Christianity or a major monotheistic religion. But after that did occur, that was probably the, the second major break in Roman history because the uh, when the Muslims and when the Northern Arabian Arabic-speaking tribes that governed Jordan and that in Syria on behalf of the Romans, the Ghassanids, once they kind of defect towards the Muslim side, um, because these are, on the one hand, the Ghassanids are Christians, and they share a religion with the uh, Eastern Romans, the Byzantines. On the other hand, the Ghassanids are uh, Arabic-speaking uh, tribe fig tribal figures in Syria and Jordan, and they share a lot with the Arabic-speaking tribes, um, Christians and polytheists, with whom they uh, have a lot in common to the, into, to the south. At some point, they basically change sides and uh, by the end of these various border and tribal disputes uh, the and and against the backdrop of continuing tensions and wars between the Eastern Roman Empire and Constantinople and the very powerful uh, Persian Empire the Safavids based in Iraq who saw themselves as kind of revivers of the ancient Achaemenids in the days of Alexander um, where Syria and Iraq border one another, Syria under uh, Roman rule and Ghassanid tribal rule, uh, Iraq under Persian rule. Uh, by the 6 and 700s, that's the second major break in Roman history, that the Arabic-speaking Muslims, like the Germans in the 500s, the Arabic-speaking Muslims uh, capture uh, not the western half of the Roman Empire, but they capture much of the eastern Roman Empire. They capture uh, not just Syria, but also Egypt and Algeria uh, and Tunisia and uh, Libya all the way to Morocco and Spain. So the, so the Muslims capture uh, the North African holdings of the Eastern Romans or the Byzantines based in Constantinople. And since they go so far out into North Africa, they end up capturing um, the lands of the German kingdoms who had previously captured the Western half of the Roman Empire. So the Muslims again take over the old Vandal lands and the kingdom of the Visigoths in Spain and identify Spain in terms of uh, the, the memory of the Vandals, Vandalus in Latin, Andalus in Arabic.